Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast. Each week we take a deeper look at the text we covered in worship on Sunday. We do that by discussing things like historical settings and literary context, the way others before us read the text, and our reflective approach to reading that same text. So today we're continuing in uh, the Unafraid uh, series and uh, looking at Psalm 139 and all kinds of things attached to that. That's right. And I did not, um, when I preached on this yesterday, I, I typically... Um, do some exegesis of the scripture and, and share some of that, and I, I didn't. I was kind of 99% on practical application. So today, I'd like to do a little more, uh, a deeper dive, as the podcast uh, name says, into Psalm 139. And this is, um, you know, we just assume that all the Psalms are written by David, and of course they're not, but um, this is one that they do think that was written by David, and at a time when he was falsely accused. And so, um, um, I don't think about that when I read the Psalm, I just think that I am so blessed and so thankful that God um, knows my heart. Um, but but this psalm, if you divide it into um, four sections of six verses each, the first one, um, verses one through six, um, and that deals with the uh, omniscience of God, and then the second, t- seven through twelve, with his omnipresence, and then the third, uh, yeah, the third, verses thirteen through eighteen, with his omnipotence, and then the fourth. At the very end, then, 19 through 24, talks about what he's asking for. And one of the things that I love about the Psalms is that they often start with praise, start with praise, um, and then often go into the, the trouble and then end with praise. And, you know, this Psalm goes uh, 18 verses before he ever asks anything, except that he... Um, he does ask something that I, I thought about this this morning um, uh, as I was preparing for this. And um, how many times in our joys and concerns on Sunday morning does our uh, do we have one that says, um, "I want God to know my thoughts and my heart." <laughs> you know, we we ask for stuff. God, would you do this? Would you do this? Instead of, I love that. God, would you look into my heart and and tell me what you see. Um, because we don't see necessarily that the the, um, the sin in our lives. I mean, I don't. I don't think. Um, I've I've prayed several times. Lord, show me what I'm doing wrong. You know, show me where I'm falling short. Why are you smiling, Randy? You want to tell me where I'm doing wrong? <laughs> Just saying, I could help with that. You know, but... no, I'm not asking you. Okay. <laughs> um, but I love that. Um, you know, God. Look into my heart, and um, uh, and he's not saying, uh, look into my heart, and I know what you'll find, God. I'm I'm perfect. I'm fine, but reveal this to me, um, and, and I I invite you to do that. And man, that's that's kind of scary stuff to be that vulnerable. To obviously we know that God knows, but to be that vulnerable and to say, um, God, look at all the stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, um, I think about when you um, have have somebody over. My mom used to say that if we were having company fairly quickly, uh, she'd say, uh, "Just uh, what did she say? Just clean around the top." <laughs> in other words, stick stuff in the closet, and they'll never look in there. And uh, but this psalm is saying, "God, look into every 
every bit of my soul for for all of it. Um, as we as we uh, as we look at this, one of the um, tra- some of the translations I'm I'm uh, using uh, references from a um, a program I have called Lagos, um, and um, um, it said that one of the some of the newer translation translations um, when um, it talks about I am fearfully and wonderfully made say that it's God, that the, the psalmist is saying that about God, that you are fearfully, wonderfully made. To me, that's a whole big difference. Uh, the commentator says it's really not a big deal because um, if God is fearfully and wonderfully made, then so are we. But um, I don't think that there's a, a strong uh, argument that that is the way it was. But it just, you know, think about it that way. Mm-hmm. That God is fearfully and wonderfully God. Um, I've always interpreted it interpreted i've always interpreted that to mean that i was fear it was yeah. a testimony of david's right about what god had done again directing attention back towards god right uh, but also just an utter amazement mm-hmm. um, at how i was put together right right somewhere i read that if we only knew half of how we were um, of what goes on inside our bodies we would be afraid to move because it's so amazing, um, and I find uh, the more I learn about, you know, when I learn something new about the way our body works together, it's just it just blows me away that all those pieces are. I mean, it's just, and, and so to say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made is just amazing, um, and and that's what I want people to. Sometimes remember. it makes me. Uh, um stop and pause for a moment maybe i should have taken better care of this temple over the years because uh-huh, uh, uh-huh, i'm uh-huh. not sure i always took great care of the temple uh-huh, but yeah. anyway i'm moving not gonna, on i'm not going to disagree on. with you there you know um one of the one of the commentators said that um um we can't, and I always, I usually say this before we do the prayer of confession because we have done um, in the first two services um, at Calvary, um, we have usually an opening hymn of praise, and then we go to a time of confession. And um, I don't think we can profess the glory of God without also recognizing our own sinfulness and our own humanity, and that's what this. Um, um, that's what this psalm does. Um, God, you are incredible. You are incredible, and I'm not. <laughs> but you love me, and I, and and I am uh, humbly aware of that and thankful of that. I think confession um, is is the, a healthy thing. Oh yeah, for our spiritual lives and growth to remember um, that we are all, and I think it really is good, especially. Uh, if you've been in in the faith for a long period of time, to remind yourself every now and then that I'm just a sinner saved by grace, just mm-hmm. like everybody else, absolutely, and that uh, the only difference between those on the outside and the inside is that I've opened my opened my heart to Jesus, uh, but I came from there, wherever right. there is. I don't care where they're what yeah. they're identifying or what they're wanting to criticize of somebody else or judge somebody else on. All I am is a sinner that was saved by grace. Mm-hmm. And I, that's a part of my uh, prayer routine, mm-hmm. uh, probably more monthly than daily. Mm-hmm. But just uh, I am a sinner that's been saved by mm-hmm. grace. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's important. Once we lose sight of that, then we're really in trouble, I think. Well, it it leads us – I think it leads to the path of moving into God's realm yeah. of being judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and self-righteous. And yeah. self-righteousness. And so uh, I remind myself of that frequently. That, right. Uh, you know, even as even as um, a pastor, um, and unfortunately, there have been uh, particularly brothers uh, of the faith or of different faiths uh, who have really, really walked on the witness of a lot of hardworking pastors uh, and faithful pastors. But it. I'm not any different than anybody else. Right. My calling is to do what I'm doing, but I am no better than anybody else. Um, and uh, I, I, I just think if that word had come to some brothers in the last 30 or 40 years, or maybe some sisters in the last 30 or 40 years who, uh, who got consumed with their own fame and got really caught into pride and into riches. Right. Um, Anyway, I could yeah. I could take a journey down that road, but that's yeah. not where you're going. So no, let's go back, um, <laughs> and and I'd like to go now. Move to the unafraid book, um, and folks, if you, if you don't have this, that's not a problem. You can get it. Um, it there's an unafraid book, and then there's the Bible study. So um, the study guide uh, for the Bible study, and and um, there are also. Um, um, videos online of Adam Hamilton um, in each of these sessions. So if you're interested, you can go to YouTube and find those. But um, the the statement that I thought was one of the most important, and I preached it yesterday, it's in the bulletin, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, and he said, a culture that makes success, or at least the appearance of it, the only option for everyone. The only option for everyone. And and who defines success? What is success? Um I hate it when I'm, I'm preparing. I'm I'm talking to someone about, you know, they know they're dying, and they said, "Well, I haven't really done anything in my life." Oh, I mean, that breaks my heart. Um, and they say I wasn't really successful. What does that mean? So anyway, um, but we in in this country really lift that up. You have to be successful, and I think that's why there's so much backbiting, uh, because sometimes in order for me to be successful, I have to make sure you're not, um, um, which is sad. But anyway, um, if it's the only option for everyone, starting in childhood, that exacts a steep cost. If you don't, su- don't succeed, you're often left feeling that you're a loser, a nobody. Um, and that I, I just think that that's really, really, really sad. Um, and I think, what have we done to people in society? Um, we were talking to uh, Randy's daughter yesterday at lunch about that and about some of the differences in in boys and girls and their feelings of self-worth and failure. And um, man, it, it's, uh, I think, what have I said to little girls or little boys to make them think that... Um, that that if a little girl makes a mistake on a test, she's stupid. But if a little boy does it, eh, it's just it's boys. It's boys, yeah. Um, and if a if a boy is acts out in class, well, that's what boys do. But girls need to be perfect. Um, and I just 
you know, that was a conversation that will stick with me for a while and think, I hope we're getting past this, um, but I'm not sure that we are. So what kinds of standards are we as the church um, giving people? Um, um, how are we helping them to, to not look for things that just can't be found? Because if you're successful, I once knew a pastor who um, got a church growth award the church kept growing, and as the church was growing, he had uh, nearly a nervous breakdown because he said, I can't keep this up. What if the church doesn't grow? Then I'll fail. But the, it hadn't started to do decline. But the fear of failure, uh, the, the, the <clears throat> success brought on that immense fear of failure. Um, and if the church didn't continue to grow, then he was um, – it, it was just a very, very, very sad thing. Um, Adam Hamilton says – I thought this was interesting – some things that he has learned uh, in life, and there are three things. One is that most things are never as hard as you fear they will be. <laughs> um, I can relate to that. You know, I go to the – nth degree in terms of uh, of how hard something might be, and often don't try it because of how hard it might be. Um, and number two, successful people, however you define success, are willing to do the things that unsuccessful people are unwilling to do. And that was part of the Michael Jordan video yesterday morning, that, um, um, you know, how many of us are willing to risk and and do something outside of the norm because it might not work. Um, I was talking to my son, Chris, and, and said, um, I had remembered him telling me many, many years ago that there was a company that rewarded employees for failing because then they could um, try new things. Um, and he said, yeah, that was, uh, micro no, it wasn't Microsoft, it was Google. However, um, the reality was, that wasn't what was happening. They had to do their job in the number of hours in a week. I think they said they were giving them 10% of their time or something to do uh, projects that, that they wanted to work on. Um, out of those projects came Gmail and something else. I can't remember what it was he said. Uh, but then they um, they took that out because what happened was the, the people were being paid to work on their pro on, on Google's projects. And then um, when it came to those uh, new things, that had to happen on their own time. So they were really um, giving that information freely. So anyway, it wasn't as great as it. But it's a good concept. I think it's a good concept. Um, because if you fail, I mean, not just to try to fail, but if you're trying to take risks, then that's a good thing. So... Um, Successful people are willing to do the things that unsuccessful are willing to do. And then the third thing that Hamilton says is, <laughs> he calls it uh, discernment by nausea. I love this. And he says, often when you come to a fork in the road, a decision you have to make uh, between taking this path or another, you'll find that one way is easier, safer, and more convenient. Uh, more often than not, though, the other path, the one that's harder, riskier, more inconvenient, the one leaving you feeling a bit nauseous when you think about it is the one you should take. I love that because I'm the taker. Um, I'm often, at least I look at in different areas of my life, the one that is a little more nauseous. 
um, um, and and just because I I like to try new things, and I'm okay if I fail as long as I can pull something out of my back pocket that works the next time. But so anyway, um, and to follow that up, uh, you know I always follow Rain, Wayne Get Gretzky. Okay, I don't, but Adam Hamilton did. And he said, uh, Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you didn't take. So what are we not doing because we're afraid it won't work? Um, our fear of failure um, just kind of uh, encompasses everything and can paralyze us into doing nothing. So if you are a, uh, uh, a perpetual people pleaser, you're going to find yourself uh, never able to please everybody. Um, or it, when you don't, then it's going to be just really um, devastating to you. And I'm, I tend to be a people pleaser, but I'm also uh, a person that likes to take risks. So that's not a good combination for me. Finally, well, not finally. Um, one of the things, and, and I didn't bring my book to this podcast, but um, he talks about um, um, a guy that's trying to, uh, but without giving it away first, trying to get people into his state uh, because nobody wants to go there. And so what he decides to do is to carve some faces in a mountain. And they say, that is ridiculous. Why are you spending all this money? This is ridiculous. Why Nobody's going to come to see faces in a mountain. But Mount Rushmore is a very popular place to visit. So... Um, uh, even though people kept telling them, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, he did it anyway. And we find that millennials um, are, um, I mean, we've, we've been talking about this for a while now, that millennials want to do something meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, they don't want to just go through the same thing that their parents did, um, um, making a whole lot of money without doing something meaningful. And mm -hmm. it's just really fun to talk to them because... Um, Michael Pitzer would be able to tell you with uh, senior high kids, one of the, their favorite things to do is mission things out in the community. And that's very refreshing. Yeah, it is. You know, so. Um, and finally, Mother Teresa said, um, small things done with great love will change the world. So friends, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or um, um, be the best at everything just do those small things that change the world that's all I got I just ran through all kinds of things and there you go right. that's it I, I got nothing okay <laughs> <laughs> sounded like something <laughs> nothing else okay well, we're glad that you joined us today. And uh, if you want to get in contact with us, if you have questions or um, comments or anything like that, uh, Facebook, email, all those places, we'd love to talk with you. And next week we'll be back uh, with uh, a continuation of the series on Unafraid. So until then, grace and peace. Mm -hmm.